Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. Recall with your dog is something that I think about a lot. It's sort of the holy grail of dog training, and it's really easy to feel like a failure if your dog doesn't come to you when called. And that is why I was so excited to read the book, The Original Rocket Recall by Lisa Lyle Wagoner. And the second I finished reading it, I knew I wanted to interview her for the podcast. We talk about building strong relationships and recall with your dog, among other topics that are sure to hit home with dog-loving people. Enjoy. Lisa, I am so excited to talk to you about your book, The Original Rocket Recall. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I love that there's nothing more I love talking about than dogs and recall, and then all the things that lead up to a recall. So yes, I'm Lisa Lyle Wagoner um, with Cold Nose College. Cold Nose College has been in business for 17 years now. It seems like three seconds in many ways. <laughs> and we have a team of trainers who provide uh, virtual training, and we're working with clients all over the globe here in the U.S. and elsewhere uh, with normal family manners issues, but our trainers also have a specialty in helping dogs and clients with the challenging behavior of separation anxiety. Oh so we're really, really thankful that we get to see dogs make progress being comfortable in home alone. Yeah, well, I can relate to that because my Border Terrier Pippin has separation issues and it's really hard, especially on my husband, because he is hyper attached to me. And yes. so when I leave, even if my husband is here, he's kind of chopped liver and it's yeah. hard not to get really hurt feelings that Absolutely. he's available to provide comfort. And yet that's not good enough. Yeah. So yeah. I know that, you know what that's like. We, we've made huge progress and we're, I'm working with an amazing veterinary behaviorist. So excellent. That helps, but Whew, it really it takes a team. It, do, it, it absolutely does take a team. And it is a welfare issue for both the clients and the dogs. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate that you said that, actually, because I was feeling really trapped, like I had a ball and chain. And I'm a dog person. I want to be with my dog. But, you know, to feel like you can't just run out for any little thing. I mean, my parents are aging a bit and they're in town and if we wanted to have a meal together or something where I couldn't bring the dog, I was starting to get. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you understand why the dog needs to, to not be alone, mm -hmm. you know, because we can't help a dog become comfortable unless we work with them uh, under their stress threshold. Right. So, so yes, thank you for understanding your dog's needs and providing yeah. care when well, you can't be there. it's great to know that you guys also specialize in that because I'm already going to refer to you for recall <laughs> things, but now I know that I can refer to your team for separation things too, because I don't feel like there's enough separation experts available for all the dogs that are experiencing yeah. this. Well, trauma. you mentioned your own dog when Kaylee, who's, you know, the heart and soul of my book, mm -hmm. when Kaylee joined us as a puppy. Um, I was still teaching uh, with Melena the certification course. Yes. And so Brad, my husband, dog, also a professional dog trainer, had to take care of Kaylee while I was, you know, teaching. But where was Kaylee? He's, she's at the gate whining for me. <laughs> it became very apparent that she had separ separation-related issues. Oh. And so here I have this brand new puppy. It's like, great. <laughs> my puppy has separation anxiety. Well, why me? You know, we all think, why me? Right. It's a normal thing to think, oh, I have this issue that I now have to deal with. And then I thought, universe, you put gave this puppy to me perfectly. Right. You, know, you paired us up. Why me? Because I have the skills to help this puppy. But I hired a professional to work the case for me so I mm -hmm. could just be a client and yeah. do the work. And we're I think not here to really talk about separation anxiety, but we just love no, it. But so it's important. Chatting about it. Well, it's important because we need to acknowledge that there's a variety of issues that 
we experience as dog families, right? Whether we don't feel like we can run to the grocery store, we don't feel like we can take a shower. And in the case of what brought me to you, which I'm so happy, and Melena's a good friend of mine, by the way. So oh, great. the fact that you're so close with her too makes me, I'm going to text her as soon as we're oh, done yeah. tell yeah. her that we just talked. She's just an amazing woman in so she's, many ways. Oh, she's such a good friend. But in any case, let me tell you a little story about what brought me to you in the first place. So um, Pippin is a border terrier, I mentioned, and terriers are known for loving going after little prey, right? This is a normal terrier behavior. Just like if I had a sight hound and they saw a rabbit, totally normal sight hound behavior. Dogs love prey. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And I know this. And I also know that as a dog professional, there's a certain set of expectations that I put on myself and that society puts on me in general um, for being able to have a dog that will want to be with me. Now it's interesting because Pippin is very attached to me in some ways, but yet he also still has normal instinctual behaviors, right? So he can Mm -hmm. love me more than anything, but want to go after a chipmunk just as much, right? It's nothing about his feelings for me. It's instinct that kicks in. Now, another issue that I'm facing is that I it's funny because it's a a blessing and a curse altogether is that I know smart people and I listen to smart people on podcasts. And one of the podcasts and people that I listen to a lot is Sarah Stremming. And she has a podcast called Cog Dog Radio, which I really enjoy. And in it, she talks a lot about these things called decompression walks. And what that means for her and for anyone who's not familiar is that you give your dog a break in nature. So the dog can just go be a dog. And I love it. I love everything about it because I came from a background of studying um, behavioral ecology. So I studied wild animals in their natural environments. And so animals doing behaviors that animals are supposed to do is something that is entrenched in my life ever since I was in college. And I studied monkeys in the wild and elephant seals in the wild and black bears in the wild. So I, this is something that means a lot to me. And so I have all this emotion wrapped up in the idea that my dog is supposed to be able to have time in nature and be a dog. Now I need to somehow parse out the reality versus this wish, right? I wish that Pippin can do this. Now, we recently bought a vacation home in Sun River, Oregon, which um, the location of our house is remarkable. We're just moments away from the river and we're about a five minute walk to this bridge that takes you into a national forest, okay? So it's amazing. And the forest is awesome. And I can see through it because it's not too dense. So it's great. Now, when I was there in the winter, there were a lot of snow and there were no chipmunks. And there were times when I could walk on a path and I could have Pippin off the leash and he would be happy. He would stay on the trail ahead of me. He would come back to me. Everything was great. Fast forward to spring. I bring him out there. It's probably June. There are chipmunks everywhere. Everywhere. And I, of course, am hearing Sarah decompression walks, decompression walks, your dog should be a dog. But then I also know, okay, he's going to go after chipmunks. What are the risks? What are the benefits? Right now? First of all, there are no cars. This is in the, in a place where there is zero risk. He will be hit by a car. There is a river on one side. There is forest on the other side. It is not a time of day where there are owls present. There are no coyotes present right now. I can see a big ways. And I know there are chipmunks. So I did decide this one day, you know what? I'm going to let him off the leash and I'm going to see what happens. And he was with me for a little bit and then bam, off he goes. Obviously, I knew this was going to happen. And I was really proud that I didn't lose my mind and that I didn't totally freak out and yell and make a scene because I knew that if I did that, I would make it unpleasant for him to come back to me. I also had amazing food with me because different levels of treats I had cheese. I had dehydrated Stella and Chewy stuff. He really loves. Um, and I tried to stay really calm and I let him hunt. I let him go hunt. He snarfled, he explored. And then I started walking closer to him, letting him hunt, took my time. And 
he came near enough to me and I brought out all the food and he came and checked in with me and I told him he was the best boy in the world. And then I gave him what I call a jackpot where I just fed him practically my whole treat pouch for being near me. And then I leashed him back up on the long line, which is my favorite tool in the whole world. And then we just spent the rest of the walk where he could still sniff and explore, but he couldn't leave me. And then I thought, forget it. I'm buying Lisa's book. I saw it on Facebook. It's about recall. It doesn't mean I will let him off again where there are chipmunks, but it means that I will be empowered to know how to do things better when the environment is not overwhelming and he can make good choices. And I bought your book. I read the whole thing in a day. I texted you. I was like, Lisa, I just read your book. It's amazing. And that's how we became friends instantly. But I wanted to talk to you so much because there is this, let's start with just this crazy conflict that people have. People make the assumption that a dog should just want to be with them and should be able to be off leash no matter what. So can we just start there? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a problem. And so I think... First of all, you know, having your dog be off leash with you in a wilderness area or somewhere outside of a fenced area is a is a wonderful goal to have. But yeah. it is a goal. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like a golfer who wants to play in the PGA, but first you have to start out on the putting green. Yeah. So, you know, there is a process moving from, you know, A A to Z, if you will. Um, but just just getting started, you know, building a relationship with your dog relationships with between humans are built by spending time together. Um, The more time we spend together doing things we enjoy together, um, the stronger that bond becomes human to human. So it is true with dogs. However, dogs, if we're using um, food with a dog as well to reinforce them, paying them for a job well done, whether it's looking at us, good boy, pop a piece of food, that if you can develop a reinforcement history with your dog, then not only do you have a a reinforcement history, which begins to help you with all of the training, it builds your bond and you're spending time together. Human to human, when we bond, you think about a first date. Um, It's been a long time since I had a first date, right? (laughs) But first dates or meetups, whatever they call them these days, probably going to go get food or coffee, or there's going to be something that we put in our mouth that we enjoy together. So sharing food with your dog is a wonderful thing. Sitting down with something you like, maybe you can eat and your dog can also eat that piece of food, a piece for you, a piece for your dog, a piece Mm -hmm. for you, a piece for your dog. If your dog likes hands-on, hands-on, likes hands-on petting or touching, then a, you know, a little touch under the chin, a, a stroke down the back. Again, only if your dog likes it. If you've built a relationship with your dog, then they may enjoy being touched more frequently. But with mm-hmm. a dog I don't know well and I'm just getting to know, I'm not going to have a lot of hands-on touching because that may not be comfortable for them yet because they don't know me well yet. Right. Yeah, that's really good. I think that a strong relationship is the foundation for anything. But there is this misconception, though, that I I really want to just dive into for a second before, because you're going to share some tips to help strengthen that relationship. But I, I feel that it's really worth just spending a little bit of time just talking about how, like you said, off leash time is a goal. And Sarah does talk about how the ideal is we don't give our dog the chance to go chase wildlife because obviously that's so reinforcing exactly. that the dog may choose that over even a great relationship. So I guess where I would love to just start a little bit is sort of this internal conflict that we have of, I wish I could have my dog roam free versus I have to weigh their safety and the risk that they may not come back or they may, you know, encounter some obstacle that prevents them from coming back. I mean, I know of another very well-known dog trainer who lost a dog to a coyote um, and it was tragic. And it's this horrible conundrum that we're in where we're trying to give them these enriched lives. And yet we also have to be really careful about safety. So you mentioned that where you live, and you talked about this in your book, that 
on your farm, you have different areas that are all fenced in, right? And so there are ways, right, where you can have your dog off leash and it's a safe environment to do so. Absolutely. Right. And that would be the scaffolding, right? We don't start Absolutely. You're, you're so right. Scaffolding is a, is a wonderful example. Okay. Um, I, I, it's very, I agree, very important for a dog to have off-leash time. That doesn't mean it has to be off-leash time in a wilderness area. Okay. Um, it is important for a dog to have off-leash time so they can stretch their legs and run. What does that mean? It's going to be a little bit different for each dog and every breed of dog and every dog within a breed. But in general, if people can have a traditional fence in their yard, Mm -hmm. either the backyard, the whole yard. We live in the country and we decided that we would fence, I guess we fenced a couple acres first. We have 17. And then we quickly realized that that two acres wasn't enough fencing for us because we had pasture area and that's where we like to hang out and spend time. So we saved money and spent um, um, sufficient amount of money to have the pasture fenced. It was the best investment we ever made. Mm -hmm. Not only for our peace of mind, knowing our dogs are gonna be safe, but then also for training. Mm -hmm. So I have lots of space to train, not only for our own dogs, but then for our client dogs. So yes, your dog can be off leash and have a chance to sniff and smell all, follow all the smells in the world, but it doesn't have to be a large fenced area. And then to transition from that fenced area outside of it, a leash is a training tool. Yes. Always. I'm always start with a six foot leash and trained through a variety of distractions on a six foot leash before I move to a long line, Okay. long line, whether it's 10 feet, 20 feet, 50 feet, is going to be an extremely important tool in helping your dog train for that time when you can have them off leash. But let me tell you this, this is me, Lisa Wagoner. I, I probably wouldn't have my dog off leash anywhere where it wasn't a fenced area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes from years of experience, right? I became a dog trainer because I lost a dog to the a dog got hit by a car. Um, that was long before I was a dog trainer and he was off leash. We had no fence. And the more I immerse myself in the world of dogs, the more I appreciate who they are, the more I love them in a different way and appreciate them. I don't know that I could go through that mm-hmm. again and survive the fact that something happened. So yeah, I, will have my dog in a long line mm-hmm. and she can have as much fun as she wants to have on 20, 30 feet, sniffing here and there. Um, she, Kaylee, um, and many people don't know this yet. Kaylee recently passed, um, from a, uh, yeah. Um, but she was the most environmentally centered Australian shepherd we've ever had. I knew as a puppy, the first day we brought her home, it's like, whoa, she's using her nose way more. So she was very prey oriented, as you know, from mm-hmm. reading my book. Right. And I trained through deer and I was beginning to train through rabbits who were, oh my God, rabbits were just over the top. Yeah. Um, and you can train to that level, but I hadn't trained her to that level yet. So I wasn't comfortable risking right. her life Yeah. when she was quite happy on a 20, 30 foot line when we were walking anywhere in the wilderness. Yeah. I, I love that sentiment and I, I do use a long line. It's my favorite tool. Like I said, um, I have a a very good friend of mine. Her name is Trisha case and she owns trailblazing tails in Portland. And she makes these remarkably soft biothane lines that are my favorite. Yeah. And um, I'll link to it in the show notes. Please do. um, It's they're buttery soft. And of course, as you know, with biothane, um, it just rinses off. I mean, Pippin will drag it through mud. It gets disgusting. And all I have to do is dip it in the river and it's perfect again. And believe me, I drag them through all kinds of nasty stuff and they look as good as they did when I first got them. The other thing I love about her long lines in particular is that 
she, she has different materials, but one of her bio things is a little bit stickier. And oh, so okay. when it's wet, it's not slippery because yeah, I've used nice. cheaper, cheaper biothane lines and I can't hold them carefully. They slide through my hands and it's very uncomfortable, but these are really remarkable, but oh, I need I to have, know about them. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. I I'll send you the link, but they, they come in different lengths and I have some different ones and different weighted ones. Cause Pippin's a smaller dog than, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a bigger dog. It's important so to find I, the right size and yeah, weight. It's hard and because the, I, and, the, and, and the clasp as well. Check the yes, clasp out. Yes. She some uses the clasp all brass. Big. She uses all brass, but different sizes based on the line, um, because I don't want Pippin to be dragging something really heavy around either. He's a he's you know eighteen pounds when he's a little pudgy, but um, anyway, so he's and let it, th- th- you mentioned that that's a good point too. Not all dogs in um, in the beginning are going to be comfortable with dragging the line, so yes. you may have to help them learn to enjoy dragging the line by starting with something lighter weight yeah, or a shorter one too. before moving to, you know, a more substantial. Yeah. I like that. You said that I also practice my leash handling a lot because you can get tangled up and I used to be a horse person. And so when you're used to handling a lunge line, then that gives you a lot of good experience with safely handling right. a long line. Cause of course you never want to wrap it around your hand or anything. Cause you could lose a limb. But what's interesting is with Pippin, I do find that when he's getting tired on a walk, I often have to bunch up the line and carry it mm-hmm. where I'm holding the bulk of the weight of the line. And he only just has the bit between yes. my hand and his body. Yes. Um, but that's a, a neat way that you can adjust what it I is, and about. it's an acquired, it's a learned behavior for it us is. humans as it well. Is. And I, 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 I given written instructions in the book. Yes. Um, but yes, to, to, I think, kind of think of it as a fly fishing line. Uh-huh. You know, you're always kind of playing out line and gathering up and playing it out and gathering up. Yes. So to make sure there's, you know, appropriate length of leash between you and your dog without it getting tight or without it being too loose. And, and right. it becomes easy to finesse. It does. And I know that Grisha, Grisha Stewart also teaches a lot about leash handling and feathering and how to, Mm -hmm. how to be light with your hands because the dogs can feel when you're real grippy and tight and, and when you're loose and, and things like that. So the, the long line for me is now is pretty much what I use whenever we go out most of the time, unless we're in a town or something, then I I'm the exact same way. Right? I've never used a short leash unless I'm on a sidewalk mm-hmm. in a suburban area. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Cause I would do want my dog to sniff. Right. Who's the walk for the walk is for my dog. Yeah. And I want her to have the, the freedom to move about and sniff and smell um, on a long line. I love I think, that you do that. I think for me, it's, it's the way that I can best compromise the idea that, listen, he's prey driven. And I just have to know that this dog is not a dog who at this point in time, he's Mm -hmm. not even three years old yet. He's just shy of three that we are not at a place where I can override a chipmunk. It's just not going to happen. And so because of that right now at this phase, and I don't know if ever, Um, I'm going to use a tool and he can still go chase the chipmunks, but I also know that I can reel him back when I need him and he can't blow me off, which I think is really important because he can't say no, mom, I can say, Hey, I'm going to help you make a better choice. And we're going to go together. Right. It's, um, and I talk about this in my book, we talk about management. Management is preventing an unwanted behavior from being reinforced. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you're a lot of your clients with children understand that from their child's point of view, it's true for our dogs too. So anytime a behavior is reinforced, even if it's a behavior we don't want, that behavior is going to become stronger. Mm-hmm. So by using a long line, it's a wonderful management tool to make sure that your dog isn't going to go chase a chipmunk and get reinforced. They might look at the chipmunk, <clears throat> maybe make a stri- few strides toward the chipmunk but they're going to eventually look back at you. That gives you the opportunity to mark and reinforce that wonderful check-in when he's still a little bit aroused from having chased that chip. chip, mm-hmm. chip right. So that, man, that's building your recall bank account. It is. In that and, moment. I, and I also love the idea, like I, I don't have to not let him 
explore the chipmunks, right? Uh, so for example, one of the things that Pippin loves to do because he's a terrier, he's used to going into small spaces to flush out prey. So um, in, in the forest in Sun River where we are, um, there are a lot of like fallen trees and piles of wood and branches. And of course, those all those little nooks and crannies, the chipmunks hide in there. And so sometimes I'll bring him to one of those places on purpose of course, he's on the leash and I'll say, go sniff, go get it. And then I just stand there and wait around and just let him do his thing for a while because that's so valuable to him to let mm-hmm. him be the terrier that he is meant to be, right? So I like that I can do that. And then after he has enjoyed that, then I can say, okay, it's time for us to go. Let's get back on. Yeah. The and you can use that moment as a training opportunity. So um, let him sniff. Let him get engaged with it. When he starts to disengage, that's when you can practice the name game or the chase me game that I talk about in my book. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he's, as you work on these exercises in my book, you have to be wise. And I talk about how to be wise relative to making sure that you're always setting your dog up for success so they can get it right. So don't don't call them when he's engrossed with a chipmunk digging after something. Wait until he starts to disengage and that mm-hmm. arousal starts to, to dissipate before you then work on an, an exercise you've already trained. You're just working in, in, a, in a higher level distraction area. Okay. So we kind of started at the expert level. So let's take it back. So I want to tell you a little bit about my little Frenchie client, Ruthie, who's the cutest little Frenchie. Um, Ruthie is almost six, five or six months old. So she is in this place of her development where she is interested in all the things. And her dad in particular is getting a little frustrated that he doesn't feel that Ruthie listens to him. And so I wanted to give them a simple task, a practice an activity that the dad can do to build more of a relationship with Ruthie so that Ruthie would quote, listen to him more. Right. Um, Because he was just sort of saying, Ruthie, 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 Ruthie. And Ruthie was just blowing him off because her name Ruthie meant nothing to her. It it didn't have meaning um, in that context. And so can you share with us a couple of basic pointers? So let's say somebody has a young dog or doesn't feel like they have that bond yet. And they would like to just start at ground zero. Obviously they're going to buy your book for the details, but can you start us off with absolutely simple, something simple. Absolutely. I'll start you off with exactly what I do with puppies or dogs who join our home. So um, we choose a name for our dog, right? We people, we kind of identify with our names. Our dogs don't care what their names are. A name to a dog, English, I mean, dogs don't come with an English software package installed and their name is just a sound, a sound to them. But what we need to do is add value to that sound. So the way we add value is pairing that sound with something of value to the dog, food. So find something the new dog, the new puppy likes, say the dog's name. I'm going to use Kaylee since that was my dog's name. Kaylee, feed a treat. Kaylee feed a reinforcer that I say treat a piece of food, but it really is in this case, isn't even a reinforcer. We're just pairing food with the dog's name. Kaylee feed, Kaylee feed, do that a few times and then toss a piece of food a couple of feet away, not 10 feet away, a couple of feet away. The dog will go after the food as the dog finishes the food, say the dog's name, Kaylee, she looks back toss a piece of food the other way. So you're tossing the reinforcer that you're you're giving for the dog looking at you, you're tossing it two feet the other way. Got it. Kaylee, she looks back, toss the food the other way. That simple game does two things. One, it helps the dog learn their name. It adds value to their name. And it also helps them start to pay attention when their name is called. Now I want to say, My dog's name means look at me and wait for further instruction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean quit chasing the cat or get out of the garbage. (laughs) So I'm never going to use my dog's name in a nasty tone of voice because I want my dog to think, oh, when when she hears her name, oh, that's that means good things are going to happen, not bad things. So I love that. Even when I've been frustrated with her, we all get frustrated with, with at certain times. 
I'll say, Kaylee, I would just love to not be mad at you right now. <laughs> so I'll say it in a happy tone. Of, and it's something I've done. Like I, I didn't pay attention to her and she dug up something in the yard. It's yeah. a yard. Who cares? But yeah. Um, right. Yeah. No, I love that. That is simple. That is something anybody can do right now as soon as they are done listening and reviewing and rating this podcast and subscribing. <laughs> yeah, well, and think about it. Uh, I don't know, you know, how, how many times people feed their dog a day, usually twice. Mm-hmm. Those are your two times. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take but maybe 60 seconds to do that a few times. Right. So fit it in. Yeah. You know, during meal times, or if you're watching a movie, when the commercials come on in a movie or a yep. TV series, while you're making coffee, yeah. you know, waiting for the coffee to brew, the tea to brew. I always, since I work almost exclusively with families who have kids, I say, do it when you're reheating your coffee in the microwave for the hundredth time, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> because you're going to be doing that a lot of times. So right now my kids are older, but I'm, I'm raising a pair of orphaned puppies. They're Dobermans. They're blind. They came to me when they were two weeks old through a rescue organization and I had to bottle feed them. I was so tired. It was back to the days when you know, I was sleep deprived. I thank goodness. I only had to get up once during the night to feed them. By the time they were two weeks old, they were, they only had to get up once, but I was reheating my coffee dozens of times a day. And while I was sitting there and the coffee was in there for 30 seconds at a time, that is a great opportunity for me to reinforce my bond with Pippin because he's kind of like left out and he's a little bit jealous that Mm -hmm. I am all of a sudden absent and not Right. spending time. Um, a lot of my clients do ask, and I'm really glad you mentioned that you can use their regular food for this because sometimes people are worried they're going to overfeed their dog or their dog will get fat or whatever. And Pippin is a small breed dog. And this is actually a new thing for me. For those of you listening that have smaller dogs, it is really easy to overdo it. Yes, it is. The food. And so yes, it is. I will sometimes take a portion of his dinner or breakfast and set it aside in a Absolutely. little jar. So what, because it's so easy to just do too much. It is, it is, it is. Um, you do have to be careful um, with all dogs. We have to be careful. I mean, obesity in dogs, unfortunately, is too prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because you reinforce your dog for behaviors you like doesn't mean they're going to get fat, but it does ne- mean you need to be smart about how much you feed them. Right. Um, when a new dog comes into our home, not necessarily a puppy, because puppy, puppies have different eating needs than adult dogs. But um, our guy, Cody, he came to us at almost two years old. He never got food out of a bowl. I mean, all of his food during the day came from training. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never fed him from a bowl. Mm-hmm. He was getting plenty because he was a wild dog. He, you know, lived on the, not lived in a home and every sound inside the house was new to him. And his way of, of dealing with that was to bark and lunge. And um, yeah, That's so, so hard. yeah, it was hard, but you know what? It was so worth it to watch his behavior change. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's amazing when you, when you know what to do and when you don't know what to do that you know who to ask for help. Yeah. And, you know, Brad and I are both professional dog trainers and we uh, were, Brad was, had just started his education really with um, when Cody joined us, but I was a dog trainer and yet I was frustrated with this dog's behavior. And we had, we had another, he's an Australian shepherd. We had another Australian shepherd at the time, Gibson. And I was so frustrated with Cody because he was just so reactive, you know, above and beyond the norm of, um, for most dogs. And I was walking in the pasture one day with Gibson and nearly in tears thinking, God, what are we going to do with Cody and all this work that we're putting into him? And I was so frustrated. And and I thought, you know, he's not like Gibson and he's not like Abby who just passed Mm -hmm. away. And I just had tears in my eyes. I was Mm -hmm. frustrated. And then I stopped for a moment and I thought, you know, he's not Gibson mm-hmm. and he's not Abby. Yeah. He's Cody. Yeah. And I have to meet him where he is and help him with his needs. And his needs right now is trying to deal with this weird human world that he's been thrust into inside a house. Mm-hmm. Once I made that mental shift that 
he wasn't giving me a hard time. He was having a hard time. Mm-hmm. Training just sailed forward. Yeah. I think a lot of what we work with as dog professionals <clears throat> is mindset with our students. Um, and when, when we make a shift mentally, um, then things feel less stressful and mm-hmm. less overwhelming. My clients are overwhelmed because they're trying to live with kids and dogs at the same time. And their kids and dogs are of varying ages. So I sometimes have expecting or adopting families who have a dog already. So their dog was their first baby and they're not, they're worried about how they're going to deal with their impending dog mom guilt because they're going to neglect, you know, the dog, obviously, because if the baby needs you, the baby needs you and it's not negotiable. And the dog is the one that's going to have to be flexible. But I also have people who, you know, have, toddlers who are unpredictable little creatures. And, you know, you may have the best dog in the world. I call those dogs unicorns who maybe doesn't care that much, but if your toddler is practicing inappropriate behaviors around your dog, they may think it's okay to do those behaviors around other dogs. Um, And I think that part of how this conversation relates to every kind of dog family is that we need to all have appropriate expectations. And I think that Everybody tells me, and they probably tell you too, that they want a dog who can sit quietly at an outdoor cafe under the table, no matter who walks by, whether it's dogs or sirens or anything else. And a dog I can take to the beach and have off leash and a dog I can take camping and a dog that will sleep on the couch until I'm ready to go hiking or will be okay to just have family movie night and not do anything. And, and dogs can't necessarily fit all of those criteria. That's Lassie and Lassie doesn't exist except in the movies. (laughs) Right. And so I think that just setting ourselves up that just because you have a dog and you love it doesn't mean it's going to stay by your side off leash on a walk because dogs like to chase things and like to sniff things and like to explore their environment. And we need to adjust our expectations of How are we going to keep them safe? How are we going to set them up for success? So one thing that you mentioned before, I just want to bring us back is back to the scaffolding topic, right? Is that you may want your dog to be out in the wild with you, whatever in the world off leash. Fine. That's great. And I love that idea. Um, But we have to start in like one room of the house, right? We have to start where there's not chipmunks, I would assume, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, an analogy, I use a, a music analogy in the book, but, but a human analogy is let's just take learning French. If I'm going to learn the French language, I have to, to learn a few words first before I'll eventually graduate to conversational and then get good to go to France and actually speak it. So yes, um, the dog has to learn a skill through different levels of distraction and there are different stages of learning the dog has to acquire the skill and then become fluent at the skill and then generalize that skill to different locations before they actually know it. And then that skill has to be maintained like professional golfers still have to hit the putting green, Mm -hmm. but every specific skill and every increase in criteria, every additional level of distraction, you have to go through those four phases again, Mm -hmm. Um, but but it becomes easier. So yes, we, we have, and, those four phases don't may not take that long, but we have to progress only as quickly as the dog will let us. Okay. So let's, I want to give a a family dog example here, just so that our listeners can really see how this applies to them. So let's just say that you are starting this with a dog from scratch. And let's say I'm doing, let's say it's my client, Ruthie right. Um, Mm -hmm. or somebody else. So we practice in an empty, in a boring room, a room, the dog is always in. So they're used to it. We practice Ruthie treat, Ruthie treat, Ruthie treat. Then maybe to increase distraction, maybe somebody else walks through the room while Mm -hmm. we're doing this, right. Is that what you would call Mm -hmm. it? Somebody else walks through the room or just move to a room where where it's busier. Maybe the TV is on. Okay. Um, Then you're successful there. Move to outside on your porch. Okay you know, not grass yet, but on your yeah. porch, patio, okay. front porch, okay. get success there, then step out into the yard. Right. Okay. This gain is success good. there. Okay. And then, then once you gain can... success there, yeah. 
um, and I want people to train on leash and off leash. Yeah. Because you're going to, you're going to need to be on leash when you move into new environments outside of your home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want your, the dog to become comfortable, both responding off leash and responding on leash. Right. And then it comes the time. Okay. I'm ready to leave my property and go somewhere else. Where do you go? Okay. You don't go to the park on it when it's a busy Sunday afternoon and all the ball games are going on. Mm-hmm. You pick a park on, pick the park on a Saturday morning. I mean, um, Sunday morning, maybe when no- nobody's there, you pick a big box store such as Lowe's or Lowe's uh, locally is pet friendly. Mm-hmm. You go to Lowe's on a Sunday morning when there's not a lot of people, there's not a lot, not a lot of other dogs where you can work on those same behaviors. Okay. So this takes time, right? We need to set ourselves up for the expectation that, um, you know, we do this in the house and maybe we're doing different rooms of the house, not just for one day, but maybe for a couple of days, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be a couple of days. It could yeah. be depending on the busyness of the household. You know, when we first brought up um, our first puppy home, we had five cats. There was always something moving in our house. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't necessarily say that even inside the house was a low distraction environment. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And I would assume for a lot of my clients who have multiple children that the kids are running and playing and being kids, right? So mm-hmm. between we have to acknowledge different levels of distraction come in different forms, right? So mm-hmm. the kids playing the voice the voice of mm-hmm. happy kids, sad kids, tantruming kids, mm-hmm. the motion kids playing, right? Yeah. The motion. Maybe if there's a play date, somebody's over, then it's an added kid that maybe we don't know as well, right? They're running around and doing activities. Maybe it's kids eating is an even mm-hmm. higher level of distraction than kids just sitting on the floor playing Legos, right? Absolutely. So we need to we need to pace this appropriately for your dog. For a busy family, multiple children. Um, I would suggest probably the bathroom. Here's mm-hmm. another great reason to, to train in the bathroom. You get your dog accustomed to liking being in the bathroom. If that is indeed where you might give your dog a bath. Mm. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. I always start training in the bathroom as a precursor to eventually helping my dog learn to, to like being in the bathtub. That's a great idea. Yeah, actually, Pippin, I have to say, one of the reasons I may never go back to big dogs is that I can bathe Pippin in my kitchen sink. Isn't that Because nice? I have the nozzle, you know, and I can yeah. do warm water. It's like the best thing ever. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah. I'm spoiled now. I can just boop, plop it yeah. in there and it's yeah. perfect. But I do like what you're saying that it, if that's the case and you're going to bathe your kitchen in the utility sink in the laundry room, then practice in the laundry mm-hmm. room first, right? Build up mm-hmm. value of that space so that the laundry room doesn't predict just baths. Cause that would exactly. be kind of a bummer, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. Absolutely. And also similarly, we don't want the leash to be a predictor of bad things. Right. So I do see that sometimes what happens is people get frustrated, like when Pippin ran off and I knew he was going to do it. So I wasn't actually frustrated. It was more of an experiment. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a failed experiment for me. It was just an open-ended. I want to see what he does. I want to see how long it takes him to feel satiated chasing the chipmunks. I knew he was in a safe place, but it was not something that I planned on repeating a lot of times because (laughs) I just, I kind of needed data, right? I felt Mm -hmm, like I needed mm -hmm. data, but had I been angry when he came back to me and then I clipped on the leash and then we left and there was no more fun to be had, then I could see how I could make the leash be a predictor that less fun things are going to happen the way that the laundry room could predict baths are going to happen. Mm -hmm, Right. So I think it's important that then we follow anything with positive experiences. So for example, Mm -hmm. after we left the chipmunk situation, I brought him to the river, which he was very happy about because he loves getting wet. And so then on the way back, we went in the river like four times on the way back to the house. So it was like this super, this isn't a problem. It's not like I'm being punished or anything. Exactly. Exactly. And you mentioned, you mentioned a good thing, um, relative to not being angry. Um, yes, please. You know, if your dog doesn't come back to you or whenever, if your dog doesn't meet your expectations, your dog is only being a dog. And so you're being a mean human when the dog comes back is only going to do you disservice relative to your relationship with your dog and any potential thing you're trying to teach your dog at the time. Mm -hmm. So smile, 
make sure you take the information in as this is good information. I have good, like you said, I have good data now relative to what I need to do. And then think about how you're going to tweak your training plan. But yes, um, try to always be that wonderful benevolent advocate for your dog versus the scary human being that your dog comes back to. And it could be as simple if you, you took Pippin to the river. It could be if your dog likes to play tug, play tug. Yeah. Or drop four or five pieces of food. It's another thing I like to do with my dogs when I do take their leash off. Then I take their leash off and I, I scatter four or five or six or seven pieces of food. So the leash doesn't necessarily mean, oh, okay, the leash off doesn't necessarily mean, oh, this is my time to run away from mom. Yes. Oh, I love that. So you're essentially taking the leash off, but they're choosing to stay because they're eating the food. Right. I love that. I think a a scatter of food is such a great solution for a million different things, right? (laughs) It is. Um, With Ruthie, we were talking about how to, she loves kids, which is such an awesome thing. She doesn't live with kids, but she loves them. And we talked about how, when she sees kids, we can sprinkle some food Mm -hmm. on the floor because she's little and the kids are little, but it doesn't mean that a toddler wants a little Frenchie who will be a little tank to Mm -hmm. put her paws on them. And so I was explaining that if the nose is on the ground, then all four feet are also on the ground. And so it can keep her in a zone where we want her to be giving her a good reason to stay there. So I like what you're saying is clipping off the leash doesn't mean instantly dashing Mm -hmm. off, running off before we can even like get our wits about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And even when I have my dog on a short line, I mean, a six foot leash or a long line, I am still to this day with Kaylee before she passed, um, still reinforcing check-ins and playing the name game with her, no matter where we are. I'm I'm reinforcing the behaviors we like. If as, as your clients, as families, the people who are listening to this podcast, if you can do anything, if you can just think about, um, catching your dog doing everything right. We're so quick as human beings to think, well, he did that wrong or he didn't do that. Turn, turn the, the cards and make sure, oh my gosh, look at all the things he did right. Look at all the things she did right. Reinforce those things you like. Mm-hmm. Get them so much more of the time. I love that so much. That's such a simple thing we can do. You don't have to be a dog trainer to do that. Mm-hmm. And dogs repeat what they practice. And so if we reward something that we like, even Pippin just glancing at me, I always catch it. I say yes. And then I, if I have something handy, I try to have little jars of treats all over the place or little bowls of things out available. Um, Kathy Sedeo came up with this really amazing game called Smart 50. Smart 50, yes. And I, I love this game. And this is something that families with children can do. And the kids can do this. Now, when there are multiple kids in the house, then I I call it smart 25 because each kid gets 25 instead. But the point is, the gist of it is, is you have a few pieces of food, however many you want. And throughout the day, your goal is to give those to your dog by catching them doing things you like. And it can be just simple little things looking at you. It could be laying quietly while you're cooking. It could be not losing their mind when the doorbell on the TV rings. I really wish TV did not use doorbells, by the way. <laughs> yeah. but it could be, you know, it could be anything you like. It mm-hmm. could be anything. And so your goal by the end of the day is to use up that reserved set. Of I'd love that. And you can do it by dropping it on the floor. If you have a toddler and they want to be involved, but you're worried about the dog biting your toddler when they take the food, then they just drop it over the side of it. So I'm a big fan of baby gates. So the toddler yep. just drops the treat on the other side of the baby gate. These are great relationship enhancing activities um, that, you know, we have smart colleagues that generously share these things with mm-hmm. the world. And then I love to shout them all from the rooftop. So this feels like a really positive way to end. I would love for you to tell people again, the name of your book and where they can find you and all of your online Excellent. support. Excellent. Thank you, Michelle. It's been such a delight speaking with you. And I, you. I, I love your business and what you do, helping families and dogs, you know, Thank coexist you. peacefully together. It's so important. So uh, you can find us at coldnosecollege.com. The book is Rocket Recall, the original Rocket Recall, Teach Your Dog to Come. It's available from Amazon. It's available at Mungle Books in Canada. And before the end of the month, it will be available through Dogwise. Oh, yay. That's yeah, awesome. I'm really excited. 
Yeah, I'm really yeah. excited too. And I literally, everybody listening, I read the book. I mean, granted, I set aside like all this time and I read it in one day and I was a former teacher and it, it <laughs> I'm, I'm a poor student, shall I say? <laughs> and the fact that I could sit and read this book in a day means that it was engaging. It was simple. It was interesting and it was actionable. And that's what I liked the most is that I literally, I, I think the first day that I messaged you to introduce myself was I had gotten halfway through the book and I was already starting some of the games that you yes, started. I, I remember you were. I yeah. was running around my house. I was there by myself. Um, my husband was home with COVID in California and I was at our house in Oregon. So the whole house, me and the dogs, and I was running around the house playing chase games and, and find me games with Pippin. And it was so fun. And um, so I just had to thank you for that. Oh, it just makes my heart so happy to know. And, you know, getting your, your message that day, just, you know, any author just loves to know that their words are valuable to someone. So they have been for me. So I hope they would for everyone else. They will. The book's book's website is rocketrecall.com. Okay. Um, So, yes. And I love the the fact that you highlighted the games because I have tried to make it fun for people. I believe that training should be fun. Our motto here at Cold Nose College is we make training fun. Yeah, well, it is. And I want everybody to find you. I'm going to link to all of those things in our show notes so that people can buy your book. I, I, it is going to be one of my like go-to. I have a few things that I recommend to everybody. Um, Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy is one of those. Doggy Language by Lily Chin is another. And Oh, it's such a great one. I love it. And your book, of course, because I think even if you're, even if you never have any huge intention of having your dog in the wilderness off leash, right? I still think that your book will not only help them have a stronger relationship with their dog, but even just in the house or in your backyard, your dog can come to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the book, the book came for a lot of different reasons, but really it answers the top two questions clients have asked us over 17 years. How do I get my dog to listen? And how do I get my dog to come when called? Yeah. You need the first before you can have the second. Exactly. And we all want our dogs to listen. It is the platform, the launching platform that allows you to train anything. So yes. Yeah. Um, thanks for embracing my book. Thanks for having me. It's been delightful being your guest. I am so glad to now have you as one of my smart dog friends. I'm really happy that we met. Me and too. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Lisa. You're so welcome. Take care. Thanks. You too. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. If you're a parent and you would love someone you could talk to about your kids and dogs at any time and be part of a great community of other like-minded parents, please visit www.safekidsanddogs.com so you can learn more about the Pooch Parenting Society. If you're a dog professional and would love to build your confidence working with families who have children and dogs, I would love to invite you to join the Pooch Parenting Coach Collective. To get more information or to join the waitlist, please visit www.safekidsanddogs.com coach dash collective. I would love to have you inside the community so that you can say yes to more clients. Take care.